Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Notice that Samuel ministered to the Lord. He didn't minister to Eli. He was serving under Eli, but notice, I, I love the, the simplicity and the directness here in the Word of God. It says he ministered to Jehovah. That was who he was ministering to, and I think that's really important because there is a big difference. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. Today we learn that for the third time it is emphasized that Samuel ministered to the Lord, just as Aaron and his sons did at their consecration as priests, and just like Paul and Barnabas did before they were sent out as missionaries. As students of the Bible, we all know that God will speak and guide when His people seek Him, and when His ministers seek to serve Him diligently. In any ministry God places us in, we should seek Him first for His direction. God says when we seek Him, we will find Him. Now here's Pastor Rob. Let's open our Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to look at all of chapter 3 tonight. Last week we looked at the last part of chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. And if you recall, Samuel is... His mom and dad brought him up to Shiloh, and as, as, as Hannah made the vow and her husband, Elkanah, went along with that vow, they take him, per Hannah's vow, to Shiloh. And he's probably five or six years old when he finally gets to Shiloh after she finally weaned him uh, from nursing. And there he is, this little guy in the... In the, in the tabernacle, serving along with the Levites. Because remember, Samuel was a Levite. His mother and father were both Levites. And so it is his uh, job, really, to serve in the tabernacle. And if the temple was erected at that time, he would serve in the, in the temple on, on some kind of uh, rotation basis, like, like they did in uh, David's day. They had a rotation because there were so many Levites. They would rotate responsibilities. But here's this little young guy, and, you know, five or six years old, and I'm sure at the very beginning they gave him these little tasks to do. And, and what a wonderful encouragement he was, I, I believe, to Eli, who was the high priest at the time, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were evil men. They, they were probably in their late, uh, late teens, probably early 20s, maybe even mid-20s. And here's this young boy starting uh, with them, and 
Samuel had a completely different heart than Eli's sons. Eli's sons were very wicked, the Bible tells us, and it outlines some of the things that they did, uh, which really discouraged the people from worshiping the Lord, which is never a good thing to happen. You never want to get in the way of someone's worship, especially when, they're, uh, when, when they traveled all that way. And it really doesn't matter what they've done, but getting in the way of people's worship is never a good thing. You always want to let them worship um, and so there uh, Samuel is. And remember last week we looked at chapter 2. And as time went on, God began to speak to Eli, speak to his heart, and tell him of his son's corruption. And for whatever reason, Eli did not do anything to his sons. He didn't, he didn't really reprimand them at all. It was a very, uh, he was basically only words. He would only speak words to them, but no action at all. And you know, if you're a parent and all you say is words, but you never back up with consequences, you're, you're not doing a very good thing for your child, for your son or your daughter. There has to be consequences. There must be consequences. And God held Eli accountable to that, so much so that finally, after the Lord has been telling this to Eli, and he's not listening, God sends a man of God, he sends a prophet and in chapter 2, really verses 27 through 36, God basically brings Eli to task. He tells him exactly what his offense was and how he preferred his sons over God himself and how they were uh, committing lewd acts, sexual acts with the ladies who had come to the temple or come to the, the tabernacle and how they would take the very best pieces of the sacrifice, more, more, even more so than what they were allotted to by the law. And so these men were completely out of control. They were young bucks running around with no restraint whatsoever. And his father, Eli, would have it so. He, he never reprimanded them. He never said, okay, guys, this is what you guys are doing. You need to, uh, I need you out of the ministry for a season. I need you to think about what you're doing. There's no record of him doing that at all. In fact, he would just talk to them. You know, these aren't good things I'm hearing, sons. You really shouldn't do this. You know, but it was a weak sort of thing. And I love it. I don't love it. It says, nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Now, that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? But one thing we have to understand is that when God over and over again warns and warns and warns, and especially those in leadership, and these guys were in leadership roles, they were supposed to be the example for the children of Israel. And instead of being example, they were the ones who were actually more decrepit than those who were bringing the, the, the sacrifices to the temple. There's a real despairing problem with that. And so God tells him, this is what's going to happen. And Eli never did anything. He never did anything. And so God tells him that your, your family is going to be cut off. Literally, your sons are going to die in one day. This is a sign to you, Eli. I'm going to cut off your father's arm. In other words, I'm going to cut off your father's strength, not his literal arm. But I'm going to cut off your line. Your line, your lineage is going to come to an end. And it's going to be, it's going to be done because you haven't listened. And that is an interesting thing to consider, isn't it? That God has a line in the sand. He has a line in the sand. We don't know where that line is. Because some people can get away with something for a week, and the Lord 
exposes it and brings them to justice. Other people can do something for decades and seemingly get away with it. And in fact, that emboldens them to continue in it. And what they don't realize is that God has given them a measure of grace. And that grace is different for each of us. And I don't understand it. It's a mystery that I won't chase because I don't understand it. But I'm okay with that. And it has to be such because if God, if if I was to measure whatever I'm doing secretly that nobody can see, and I can see somebody else getting away with it. They've been doing it for years. They've been telling me all about it. They've been getting away with it. Now they're coming upon their you know, second decade of them doing this thing. We automatically assume that God is not interested. He's t- turned a deaf ear. Maybe he's even condoning such a practice. When in actuality, God is just giving that person much grace. So never assume that because God is not bringing you to task and not even exposing something in your life, don't assume that he's condoning it at all. He's given you much grace because he is a God of grace. He would much rather us come to him. Had Eli done that, had Eli come to God and asked him to forgive him and then went to his sons and said, sons, you're done in the ministry. I'm replacing you with someone else. God, this, this what we're reading about, would have never have happened. But he didn't do that. He didn't do it. So let's look at uh, chapter 3 here, because God brings this prophet, this man of God, to speak to, to Eli because he wasn't listening. He wasn't listening to the overtures that God was making in his heart. He knew it was wrong, but he did nothing, so God has to up the ante in a sense. He has to bring somebody else, and God will do that. If I'm not listening, God will send somebody to me and, 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 and say something to me if I'm not listening. And he might even do it again. God is a God of grace. I want you to know that. He's a God of love. It's because he loves that he does these things. He warns, doesn't he? Think of the prophets and how he warned the children of Israel over and over again when they were steeped in their idolatry during the monarchy and during the split kingdom, how they continued in their idolatry. God sent prophets daily speaking to them for decades, decades, decades. And finally, when the Assyrians come in 722 B.C. and take the northern ten tribes captive, they had no excuse. And then God was continuing to use his prophets to speak to the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and telling them, waking the prophets up early, going and sending them. And they didn't learn anything from their northern sister. They continued. It even did worse things. And finally, God has to take them into Babylon in 606 B.C., through Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. There's a line in the sand. We don't know where that is. But Samuel, he was considered by many to be the last judge in the Old Testament, the last judge and the first prophet. In fact, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6, it tells us that Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. And in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15, It says that Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And even when he, during the coronation ceremony for Saul's kingship, Saul, or Samuel, excuse me, addressed the Israelites at that time. And he told them, he said, And the Lord God sent Jerubbabel, or Gideon, he sent Barak, he sent Jephthah, and Samuel. He's speaking of himself as one of the judges. So we know that he is the last judge before Saul would come on the scene and the monarchy would begin. And so we know that he was a judge. And even though there were other men and women prior to this in the book of, you know, in the, in the, the Pentateuch, the uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, 
There were others who were called prophets. We think of Moses. The Bible says that Moses was a prophet. In Deuteronomy 34, it says, But since then there has not risen, arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And there are other scriptures too, but Moses was a prophet. But this was the first time that Samuel, would that would be his sole ministry now, would be he would be a prophet to the nation of Israel. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, toward the end of the chapter, we're going to read that all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that's all the way from the north, right up there on the, on, the, on the border of Lebanon and Israel, all the way down to near Edom, down by Basra, down by Beersheba, from the north to the south, everyone knew that Samuel had been established a prophet established as a prophet of the Lord. It's in 1 Samuel 3.20. We'll get to it tonight. And also Jehoshaphat, when he, when he kept the Passover, and he had that great Passover, it says that there had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. So Samuel was the last judge and also the first prophet. Now as we read this chapter, it's important for us that we not only know the word of God, but determine with everything within us to obey it. To know it and then to obey it. Because if we do not obey it, the, Lord's, um, the Lord will, uh, or he has his ways of getting our attention. And really that's what this chapter is about. We're going to see three different times when God was trying to get the attention of Eli. And he wasn't listening. And God had to bring these different chastenings to him, these different warnings to him. And again, the grace of God abounds. And God does this with all of his children, but especially those in leadership positions. In James chapter 3, in the very first verse, what did he say? The Lord's half-brother, he said, My brethren, let not, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. Those in leadership are, are called to a higher uh, accountability. And that's what makes what I do very frightening, I actually. I try not to go off the cuff too much because I want to make sure that I really pray and I really think about what I'm going to say. And I I write these things down. It keeps me on track. But whenever I get off track, boy, I better watch out because that's usually when um, I make a fool of myself when I do that. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 12 Verse 48, he says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to him much has been, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So there is a greater accountability, and, and, and Eli had that responsibility. And he didn't take it. But if we are disobedient, the Lord will get our attention. We'll see again, and in, in, uh, in this chapter, we'll see uh, God speaking to Eli's conscience. Um, or we saw him in chapter 2 speaking to Eli's conscience. And then finally, when he ignores the Lord, a man of God comes in chapter 2, uh, verses 27 through 36. And, and tonight we're going to see Samuel, God speaking and whispering into the ear of Samuel the things that he's about to do. And then Samuel has to tell this man that he has looked up to, this man who has taken him under his wing, this man whom he's really seen as a father in the faith, even though he was a compromised man. We're going to see Samuel having to rebuke him, this young man to a very aged man, and God was going to use Samuel as his first prophecy. In fact, 
this was going to be Samuel's first uh, iteration, really, of his prophecy. And he's going to have to deliver it to the man he was under, whom he knew since he was a little boy. And his first message was stiff, and it was a fatal rebuke of the priesthood. Not only of the priesthood, but also of the men and the men he had grown up under. And think of how difficult this must have been for him. It's not easy to rebuke the one that you're under the tutelage under. Usually it's the older that's rebuking the younger. But what a shameful thing when it's the younger having to rebuke the elder. There's a phrase that says, A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so Samuel, just like any person serving the Lord and being in any position of leadership, especially the prophets, you know, they had to be tested. God knew what they would do, but they needed to know how they would respond. Are they going to be a pleaser of men or are they going to be a pleaser of God? And this was a great test by Samuel from the Lord and something that everyone must come to terms with. We cannot be a respecter of persons. There is no partiality with God, and there can be no partiality with us. And we have to be a lover of God more than people. We have to do his will and let him worry about the rest. In verse 1 it says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. Notice that Samuel ministered to the Lord. He didn't minister to Eli. He was serving under Eli, but notice, I, I love the, the simplicity and the directness here in the word of God. It says he ministered to Jehovah. That was who he was ministering to, and I think that's really important because there is a big difference. Are you going to worship, or are you going to minister under, uh, to Eli, or are you going to minister to the Lord? There's a big difference. It's important in ministry or in ministering in God's name that we don't serve a human being. Because if you do, when the human being disappoints you, you're going to be disenchanted, you're going to fail, because your hope was in the human being rather than God. I'll never forget, and you've heard this story before, it's a true story. Many years ago when we had the school here, it was probably in 2000 and, I don't know, 2007, 2008, I was out and... We had the school, uh, Bread of Life Christian Academy, and we were very busy, and I was very busy. In addition to the normal things that I would do, there was an added, you know, things going on because I was teaching a couple classes, and I was doing a lot of cleaning. And I remember one day being out in the fellowship hall with my mop in my hand, and I was, I was mopping the floor, and I was just so bummed out, I'll be honest with you, because I don't know how many times I've mopped that floor, that I've swept that floor And there just came a moment where I'm like, Lord, all I want to do is go into my office and I just want to worship you. I want to learn some new songs. I want to do something related to why I'm here. (laughs) But I felt like everything else that I was doing was everything but that. And I was really discouraged. And I actually had a moment where I just broke down and nobody was around. All the kids were in their classes. I was in there by myself. And I did. I kind of just had to sit down and I just wept. And I'm like... Lord, this is really hard. What is this about? And it was because I was serving with a wrong attitude. I was serving the wrong master. As much as I love Pastor Jeff, I couldn't do it just for Pastor Jeff. And that was my moment where I had to make the, make the choice. And God brought me to that moment where I had, to, I had to find out, who am I really serving here? As much as I love the man and I'd do anything, 
I had to make the decision, am I going to follow him or am I going to follow Christ? Because if I can follow Christ, if I can follow Jesus, I can do this, and I can do it with a smile. But if I'm doing it just for a man, because the man is imperfect, just like we all are, I can only do it so long. Do you get my point? Eventually, you start wearing out until you remember who it is that you're doing it for. And that's where I was. It's important that we serve God and not man. And notice, it says the word of God was rare in those days. It means it was valuable, it was precious. Nobody was really, there was no new revelation happening. God wasn't speaking to anyone because nobody was listening. Even the professional clergy was not listening. Eli and his sons were checked out. They were in it for themselves. They weren't in it to really minister to the Lord and minister to the people. And believe me, the order is very important. If you minister to God first, then you minister to the people. But if you minister to people, chances are you're not going to worship God. Because they're going to disappoint you. And you're going to get discouraged, but if you can do it for God, boy, the things you can put up with within your own self and from without. Everything changes when you do it for the Lord. And so the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And notice verse 2, it came to pass that while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, so at this time, Eli is an old man. He's losing his eyesight. The Bible tells us that he was a very heavy man. So he's, he's large, he's probably got diabetes type 2, you know, he's, he's probably swelling in his feet, he's, he's losing his eyesight, you know, they got to feed him, they got to change him, things are getting like that. And I find it interesting that it says that his eyes began to grow dim, and I find it interesting that as it was in the physical, it was happening in the spiritual, wasn't it? He had already gone blind spiritually many years prior to this. Because of his lack of obedience to the Lord, the Lord, his eyesight, his spiritual sight began to dim. And certainly in the physical, it's happening as well. Sometimes these things happen like that. Interesting correlation between the two. But if we are not careful, we can become spiritually blind, just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Turn with me to Matthew 15. We'll just look at this passage because what we're going to see here is really what's going on with Eli and his sons are really the beginning of something that's just going to continue to be perpetrated or um, uh, propagated or whatever. It's going to continue to happen. There's going to be a corruption in the leadership, in the priesthood, and it's going to continue on for hundreds of years until finally Jesus comes on the scene, and then finally until the Romans come in 70 AD and take them captive and kill many of them, and they're dispersed throughout the known world at the time. But up until that point, the priesthood was in it for themselves. In fact, look with me at Matthew 15, just the first 14 verses. It says, The scribes and the Pharisees, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress? Notice, underline this, the tradition of the elders... Who cares about the tradition of the elders? The tradition of God, the, the, the things of God, those are the main things. And you know, not every tradition is, ba- is a bad thing. But their traditions were uh, circumventing the, the true things of God. Listen what they did. He says, for, they said, um, 
Why, why, why do your disciples transgress the, the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Oh my gosh, in the COVID-19 era, you, you got to wash I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.